this time last year, we were mourning the end of the season for the Villanova Wildcats. This time around, we are celebrating the Wildcats going to the Sweet 16 of the NCAA tournament because it is a pop-in time to be a Wildcat fan. And especially when you saw the carnage that was going around in all these other regions, especially in the South, you got to be so excited to see Villanova still moving on. No round of 32 jokes here. A lot of programs might need to take a good look in the mirror after this weekend. But here we are on a Tuesday episode of the State of the Nova Nation. I'm Eugene Rappé. He's Chris Stangial. Chris, we are moving on to the Sweet 16 for the second time in three years. And it is a good time because, you know, round of 32, we all know how we feel about that. This time around, no worries whatsoever. How have you been digesting and enjoying this opening weekend of the NCAA tournament? Well, from a Villanova standpoint, I'm obviously pumped. But this isn't like the 2016 round of 32 win in the sense that the monkey's off the back. This is just, to me, this is just a taking care of business win. Go about it. Shoot the lights out. And we got bigger and better things ahead of us. And I, I think the team and, and Jay kind of have that mindset as well at least i hope they do especially with boston coming up this weekend but as a whole man this tournament i i describe it as a beautiful disaster i i I am all for chaos like i could care less about my bracket if if it means we get to see a loyola chicago in the sweet 16 with sister jean i i don't care about my bracket if we get to see umbc pull off the biggest upset first round upset NCAA tournament history, finally getting the 16 seed over the one seed, what we've all been begging for. But I had quipped last week that we wouldn't see a 16 seed beat a one, but of course we do, thankfully. And yeah, it's it's been a great, great tournament so far. I'm I'm loving the chaos on one side of the bracket, and I find it funny that the South is the one that's seen the most carnage with everyone basically saying, oh, that's going to be the toughest region, one through four, one through five, it's the toughest, and and you got a seven versus an 11, and we almost had a 16 versus a 13 if Buffalo and UNBC had won their previous games. But, yeah, and then Villanova's bracket is probably the most chalky out of all of them. So it is is great to see. I love it. I'm loving it so far, and hopefully I can actually pay attention for at least two more weeks. Yeah, this time last year, we were very sad and upset with that Wisconsin loss. But this time around, it's nothing but celebration, joy, and fanfare. Took care of business against Radford and Alabama in the first two rounds. One thing that was also good was not only was it not really so much a getting the monkey off your back since we did win the national championship, but I thought it was good that we were able to right a few wrongs in Pittsburgh. Granted, it wasn't the exact same arena, but it was good to just you know, last time we were there, it was bitter. This time around, it's nice, and we're still rolling. We're one of 16 teams playing college basketball. And, yeah, it's definitely been a kooky first two rounds, especially in that South region. I know everyone was like, oh, Virginia has the toughest route to the Final Four, this and that. They're going to be national title contenders. But, no, before the road even got challenging, they got upset, and they didn't just get upset. It wasn't just a loss. It was a beat-down, one-sided loss by UMBC. Total props to them. I don't even think they care about being eliminated from the tournament. They etched their name in history, and everyone for about 36 hours was a UMBC fan. The way that they just completely took down a Virginia team that just didn't look like they wanted to be there. 
And then you had Arizona going down. Since he goes down, it's absolutely crazy. And it's looking like Calipari might have a cakewalk to the Final Four. But, hey, anything can happen. And I think if there's something that we've definitely learned, we see it all the time every year. But this year, it just seems more so than ever that anything can happen. Especially in that South region where you had some pretty big blowouts, like Buffalo beating Arizona one game that I'm still kicking myself over because I didn't have the guts to pick it. But Buffalo absolutely beat down Arizona, and basically everyone had Arizona at least going to Sweet 16, Elite 8, some even in the title game like myself. But then you, you said you had UMBC with a 20-point victory over Virginia. That was absolutely an utter beatdown. It wasn't even close. Like, like was DeAndre Hunter going to make up 20 points? Like, I know, I know UVA had that injury, but still, like, come on. The way UMBC played, I don't think Virginia was going to win, even with a just slightly better effort. The other night, you had two huge collapses with Cincy collapsing against Nevada, and then you had Xavier collapsing against Florida State back to back. I think they're, were they on the same court? I don't, I don't remember, but it's so weird. And, and it's all happening on one side of the bracket, but I'm loving it. I know you said you're all about chaos, but how is your bracket looking? Did you survive the carnage somewhat, get a few scars? Or is your bracket totally obliterated? How's it looking? Uh, it, it's looking good on the right side. On the left side, it's 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 bad. I had Nevada in the Sweet 16. I was lucky to get that. I was a crazy Michigan shot from having Houston in the Sweet 16 as well and nailing that. But other than that, I, I, I'm still kicking myself over Buffalo because the first thing I said to you and, and Catherine Ryan after we had finished recording the uh, last week was, Ben, you know, I think Buffalo has a good shot <laughs> against Arizona. And I was just looking at RPI just saying like, oh, wow, they're actually relatively close. And Buffalo always seems to get one. And if I had picked that one, I would feel much more confident. I'm actually doing all right points wise. I was I had a perfect bracket until the Buffalo game, but. But now it's just it's just a mess, and you know I don't really care. I'm I'm all just getting over to the final four. I want to see Loyola Chicago in, in the final four. I want to see something crazy. So just keep something up like that. How how's yours doing? We definitely got some bumps and bruises, and I thought when Arizona lost, I thought that this was just about to be the beginning of a bunch of haymakers to the face. But even though we're not on the top of the scoreboards right now, we're not even close to top five, top ten in any of my tournament bracket challenges. But if there's one thing I'm happy about is that the potential, the ceiling is still very high. I still have three of my four Final Four teams in there since Arizona decided to lose and not really show up. And as long, if everything pans out, I did the math, and if everything pans out the way that I predicted it, according to my brackets, I will win at least two of the three challenges that I'm in. So I'm I'm still happy that I'm in the race. Might not be in the top right now, but I know the potential is still there. One thing I am upset about is that I did predict a few upsets. Like I got certain teams losing at the right places, but I just did not get the team that would do the upsetting correctly. Like for example, UNC, when they lost, I actually had Providence beating them. We all saw that Providence got knocked down in the first round. That was just one of those that was like, oh, but I was very thankful that Michigan did get that crazy buzzer beater to drop because I was, oh my God, Chris, I have them to my championship game. And if they did not get that buzzer beater, I would have been done, 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 done. Because my South region is a sea of red. Anyone who has Kentucky going to the final four is probably going to win that. And I could not afford another big blow to the bracket. 
Yeah, that's absolutely huge for you because I'm I'm assuming on on your right side you got no Nova and Duke, Duke or Kansas, one of those two. So yeah, that third that third team for you is is absolutely huge and it's probably going to be the difference maker because, like I said, I had Arizona in the Final Four even though I was severely contemplating that Buffalo game. I s- still thought it would be a great idea to send in the Final Four, and obviously wrong on that. And then my other team on that side in the Final Four was UNC, and then they got creamed by Texas A&M. So I did so well in the first like two days though that I I can't afford to not have three of those Final Four teams in as long as Nova and Kansas make it. But if you get that third team, if Michigan gets it, I, th- I think you got it. You pretty much got it. Yeah, I'm just hoping that everyone else takes care of business. But, you know, this tournament has just been so fun to watch with all the crazy upsets and history in the making and the Sweet 16 just being such a random hodgepodge of teams. It's not exa- – I think they said it's the first time in a while that we've seen so very few one or two seeds make the Sweet 16. So, you know, just like the whole factor of the upsets and all the things going on, definitely been such a fun tournament to watch. If you remember last week, I wrote a post about how I did an NCAA basketball 10 simulation using updated rosters. So I decided to plug it in on the side. I didn't put it anywhere, but I I just kept it as like a personal bracket, the results of that simulation on ESPN. And looking at it right now, it's not doing too hot. It's in the 53rd percentile. It's only got 360 points. It's ranked in 8 million out of however many brackets are out there on ESPN. But there's one thing it's gotten right. It's already out because UVA lost. And according to the simulation, UVA was going to win it all. But it has been very correct so far in that Villanova started off the NCAA tournament with two huge blowout wins. We saw them take care of business on Thursday night against Radford. That one was just a massacre. And then the Alabama game. Dante DiVincenzo showing up, carrying the team in the first half. And then Mikhail Bridges slamming down what he threw up to him to just lead a blowout second half of the Crimson Tide to get Villanova into the Sweet 16. Chris, let's just touch upon this Radford game quickly before we go into Alabama. What was your impression of that 87-61 to 61 win? It seemed like Villanova just fired on all cylinders to start, and from there it was just – that was it. That was it. Yeah, not much can really be said. It, it was pretty straightforward. They shot the lights out. I mean, other than some offensive rebounding difficulties that Radford gave them, there, there was really no issue with this whatsoever. You got the bench mob in, extended minutes for some of the guys on the wrong side of the bench. So I, I was happy with – the performance all around all all starters scored double digits dcr even contributed 10 points gillespie with nine even transit with seven it was a great all-around performance shooting over 50 percent from the floor over 50 percent from three i can't complain i was pretty happy with it yeah what was it like a 31 to 8 start or something absolutely yeah. insane yeah something crazy and it was weird i had to, i had to listen to the game on the radio the entire game on the radio and it sounded like there were more Radford fans there. I don't, I don't know what it was. I don't know how it sounded on TV or if it was just where the radio broadcast was set up that maybe they were just next to a huge contingent of Radford fans, but it seemed like they brought out a lot, which, you know, good for them. I'm, I'm all for it. Underdog teams to bring out some bigger fan bases, but it, it was weird. It was, they were down like 20 something and they would score a basket and you would think they were like up by 10 with like a minute to go. But honestly, 
And I'm just happy with the way we performed and and we avoided any UVA-esque type upset. Yeah, the Highlanders came out, hit that three to start the game, and then they were flexing, and then their just confidence just got completely sucked out of them. The Wildcats just absolutely dominated them on almost every level of the game. And it was just pretty much what you expect from your typical 1-16 to matchup. I don't want to say, you know, every 1-16 matchup because we saw what happened with UMBC. But that stereotypical, you know, when there was that 135-0 and streak for one seeds versus the 16 seeds, people asked Jay Wright, and this was before the Virginia game, as a one seed, do you think about it? Do you think about not being that first team to do it? And he said, oh, yeah, you definitely do. It's just a matter of taking care of business. We talked about it last time. You never want to be the first one. And unfortunately for, for Virginia, who was the top overall seed, it wasn't just any one seed. The top overall seed, they had to be the first one for everyone's amusement. Yeah, top. I think that's probably the most amazing part of the whole thing and and the fact that it happened in a beatdown blowout fashion too combine that with the top overall seed aspect and it, it literally came out of left field like even, even when we were speculating last week oh let's see if we a 16 can beat a one we, i i didn't even think of virginia's one seed i didn't even think of villanova's one seed i was thinking penn and as like the closest opportunity to that and and they they got blown out by kansas so it just goes to show how how big of an upset that was it, it it truly truly was and it, they looked good it, it wasn't a type of game that virginia lost it was like umbc won that game like virginia like played bad but i think that was more of a testament to how good umbc was playing they were driving they weren't just hitting some crazy shots they were driving to the basket and actually getting layups like it, they played a great all-around game yeah they did hit over 50 percent from three but still they, they were they were getting to the basket against a, a much bigger Virginia team. And I don't know if you saw it, but I just had to. After Virginia lost, I had to turn on ESPN just to see how they were reacting to it because God forbid anyone in their beloved ACC loses. And I didn't want to see Virginia lose as like that first overall one seed to lose. You would have liked to have seen it happen like UNC or Duke just for some more hilarity. But man, they were, ESPN was making excuse and excuse for UVA every which way like Jay Billis was like well you know if, if Virginia plays up to their level like they don't lose this game like well no duh but they didn't so I don't under, I didn't understand that and it, it drove me insane like can we just take it for what it was one of the greatest upsets in NCAA history maybe the greatest maybe the greatest in terms of magnitude in terms of seeding obviously in terms of seeding but why do we got to make excuses why can't we just credit UMBC for playing great why do we have to be like oh well you know Virginia was kind of down and they had the injury and all why can't we just credit players on on the retrievers for that yeah deandre hunter could have played in that game i don't think it would have made a single difference at all aside from the espn guys i didn't watch any of their reactions to that game i just simply went to the next game but i did see virginia fans reacting on twitter and you had a few bozos tweeting at the ombc athletics account saying like oh you guys are not classy like you should act like you've been there before you know, it's it was just one win. Like, you guys aren't going to win the NCAA tournament. It's like, buddy, no one's made it that far. No one, What they just did, no one's done. You can't act like they've been there before because no one's done it. And maybe if Virginia had a little bit more resolve and urgency, they probably could have been in that yeah. game. But they – it just – I did not see any urgency at all in that game. And hats off to the Golden Retrievers for winning that because as soon as the game was 
in UMBC's hands. I think they were up by like eight or ten. I had a feeling they were going to pull away with it just because of the way Virginia plays. Then once I finally tuned back into the game and I saw, you know, time's winding down and they're just taking their sweet time bringing the ball up or and not really going for anything or not getting their shots to drop or not moving the ball around, I was like, oh, yeah, this this game's over. Yeah, I guess when you're a highly high-end defensive team and you are the slowest team in the country, I guess it's kind of hard to delineate from that game plan. But I would think in desperate times called for desperate measures and that you kind of want to speed it up a little bit, but they they didn't. And they weren't hitting threes either. I, I forget who, who it was, but they went 0 of 6, and that was an absolute killer them and they just weren't hitting outside shots and even like towards the end they had like this one breakaway where they like just flat out missed an open layup and I was just like oh that, like that's pretty much their night in general I mean they I think they got the rebound and cleaned it up but it, it was just that was just the epitome of their night right there I, honestly I'm at a loss for words still as to how insane that was unlike Virginia Villanova got to go on to the round of 32 our everyone's favorite round as a Villanova fan and I'll be honest in the first half of the game, I was a little worried. I mean, I wasn't worried. Like, I thought we would pull away in the second half. But the way that Alabama was playing, I was sitting there thinking, if Dante DiVincenzo does not have the game that he's having right now, we would be in trouble. This would be a very different game altogether. And if you looked at just the final score and the box score by itself, you wouldn't have guessed <laughs> how this game unfolded. You wouldn't have thought that it was a close matchup after 20 minutes with that 81-58 to 58 final score. But I give total props to Dante DiVincenzo for carrying the Cats, scoring all 18 of his points in the first half. We only took a 32-27 to 27 lead at the break. Alabama had been playing tough. We couldn't buy a basket for a while, it seemed like. And Colin Sexton, he's pretty good. I'll admit it. He was pretty good. No one else on his team did anything, really. But when he had all of the defensive pressure going his way, and everyone keying in on him, he did a pretty good job. He has that, I hate to use the word, grittiness to him, but he definitely has that chip-on-your-shoulder attitude, which I definitely liked and I think will definitely carry to the next level. Yeah, Sexton's an awfully great player, but that's exactly what we predicted. We predicted Sexton to do something and the rest of the team to do nothing, and Sexton really didn't do all that much. I mean, he, he did drop 17, 7 14 shooting, but it wasn't. It, it's not the type of game that's going to put you over the top as a nine seed, so... I was greatly impressed with the defense in this one. I will admit Dante basically saved the season. If Villanova goes into that first half down, the whole mindset's different going into the second half. I think the fact that they knew they were up five after playing pretty, pretty crappy, but having Dante bail them out basically and being second half team, I think that, that kind of allowed them to play a little more free, a little more of their style and, and kind of pull away as a result. Dante bailed him out big time, and he was hitting long-range shots that, you know, you'd be like, no, no, it was more like, no, 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 yes, 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 and I was very, very impressed, and carried the team for the entire first half, and then the second half, he didn't really do anything, and that was all because he deferred to Mikhail Bridges, and how how impressive was that? Bridges had one point in the first half, I think it was, and then had three straight three-pointers, had an alley-oop on top of it. And a nice, like, five, it was like, what, a stretch five minutes or something like that. It was, he played a fantastic second half and allowed the team to take off. As a result, we got some bench mob. We got a Tim Delaney sighting. And I got to give credit where credit's due. Colin Gillespie had to play some extended minutes because Jalen Brunson was on the bench for most of the first half because of foul trouble. And he did a damn good job on Colin Sexton. I have to say, 
only allowing the 17 points. I know he wasn't on him the whole time, but even when he was in it, he didn't have his offensive game going, but I thought he played a great defensive game. And that's a team. I think this team is finally starting to gel a little bit on the defensive end. Granted, Bradford, it's Radford, but he only gave up 60, just over 60 points. And he only allowed an Alabama team to help to 58 and with Sexton only dropping 17 of those. I think this team's starting to find its initial a little bit defensively, and hopefully this can continue to West Virginia because you're certainly going to need it against a Javon Carter-type type player. But I was greatly impressed with how this team came together in the second half in this game, and props to Dante for carrying them in the first half. Yeah, a lot of eyes were on Colin Sexton, the NBA lottery pick, yada, yada, but Mikhail Bridges, we want to talk NBA lottery pick. That man had such a standout performance, absolutely took over in the second half, helped us go on that crazy run to start play back up again. And because of that, we were in a commanding position to just pull away with it. And that's exactly what happened from then on there. He played phenomenally. Jalen Brunson, like you said, was a little hindered by those fouls and just being on the bench, not playing as many minutes as he usually got to. But Dante DiVincenzo, big credit for keeping Villanova ahead keeping their head above water in the first half. And then Mikhail Bridges is just absolutely taking over in the second to just bring Villanova to the Sweet 16 for the second time in three years. And we did get to see a bench mob sighting. Granted, it was only Tom Liebig. But so far, the NCAA Basketball 10 simulation is correct just for the Villanova road so far. Everything else, though, is in the toilet. But right now, it's gotten the first two games correctly. In Villanova sense. One thing that impressed me though. Alabama. Great three point defensive team. Villanova actually did a pretty good job from beyond the arc. They shot 17 of 41. I mean 17 threes in general is a lot. And they drained 41% of those. And that was actually more than how they played inside the arc. Where they only drained 36.4% of their takes from two point range. So great performance by Villanova. Just absolutely took over in the second half. Yeah, you know, the first half wasn't the prettiest outside of Dante DiVincenzo. There was always that feeling that Villanova would just take off and just get the Jets going in the second half. If we were still trailing, if we were still neck and neck going deep into the second half, I'd be like, okay, okay, now I'm starting to get concerned. But they just took all doubt away early, just got off on that huge run to take such a big lead. And from there, it was over. Very impressed with Bridges. He was fantastic. DiVincenzo, too. Jalen was good in his limited minutes, didn't really do much, but I loved the play of Villanova and round of 32. Yeah, we came in as a big favorite. I didn't think we were going to lose it, but it, I'd be remiss to deny the fact that I had a little bit of fear. You know, it's funny. I, I actually was feeling pretty good going into this game and not, and I really wasn't that fearful at all. And I think a lot had to do with it as a fan because Virginia had just lost the night before. Where it was kind of like, you know, if we do lose this one, it's it's still not the biggest upset of the tournament because uh, Virginia decided to take care of that for everyone else and make that the story. So it was kind of like, all right, at least if we lose this one, all eyes are off. It won't all eyes won't be on us. There's still everyone's still kind of reeling from Virginia, so that made me feel easier as a fan, and also the fact I just feel like this team's really clicking right now. So, and and Alabama wasn't. Uh, too scary of a team as a nine, so I, I, I was all right coming into this, which is usually the opposite opposite for me. But. So for the first two rounds of the NCAA tournament, Villanova has absolutely stood out. They look very great so far, just winning by huge margins of victory. They're going into this West Virginia game 
to start off the Sweet 16. And we're going to go into that game a little more on Thursday. We're going to preview that game and the hypothetical Elite Eight matchup. So we're not going to dive into that yet. But I do want to just take this time to pour one out for the different Big East teams that could not make it to the Sweet 16 and just talk about their games a little bit. There were a lot of really good matchups. First up, let's just talk about Providence going up against Texas A&M, losing 73-69 in the opening round. We saw what Texas A&M was able to do. And, you know, granted, it's not always a simple transition like that. But if you're a Providence, you got to be hurting, thinking that you could probably be going to your Sweet 16 if you just took care of business. Chris, quickly, what were your thoughts on that game? I was able to catch uh, the last half of the half, so last quarter of the game. And I, I thought Providence was going to be able to scoot this one out. This was the type of game that I would think Providence would would win because it's this is their this is their game. This is muddy it up, you know, keep it close, and then have Cartwright hit a big shot or have Diallo get to the rim somehow. You know, this this was the type of game that they always seem to pull out during the year, and it just just couldn't happen. I I don't know. I really didn't think A&M was all that good of a team, and I was obviously completely wrong with the win over Providence and then the absolute beatdown of UNC. Yeah, I, I was a little disappointed for the Friars. I had picked them to win. I, I think I picked every Big East team to win at least their first game. So, yeah, I was a little upset, but hey, A&M seems to be a good foe. I think the fact that they beat UNC kind of made this loss for Providence not as not as bad, I feel like. Yeah, it was tough. We saw Kyron Cartwright absolutely just take command of games in the Big East tournament coming up clutch and big time in the first two overtime games that the Friars played in. I think against Villanova, he had a lot of big time baskets. Granted, they couldn't win, but he clearly stuck out. And it was one of those, man, what is he going to do in the NCAA tournament? And like you, I did think that Providence would steal it at the end. But unfortunately, they just fell short. I also was not too impressed by Texas A&M. But I guess you had to reconsider now that you saw what the Aggies did against UNC, just like you said. But hats off to the Friars for a fun Big East tournament final and a fun year. No more Kyron Cartwright and a few other guys. So it'll be interesting to see how that team looks next year. But Ed Cooley usually does a pretty good job of making the good with what he has. Next up, let's pour one out for the Creighton Blue Jays. Losing in the opening round, Marcus Foster going up against his former team. The team that dismissed him, kicked him off, and he ultimately transferred, found his way to Omaha to play for the Creighton Blue Jays. Kind of a revenge game for the senior, but unfortunately the Wildcats downed the Blue Jays 69-59. to And I think Creighton might be another one of those teams where if we just beat this opening round team, you had UMBC right there in the round of 32. Who knows? You could have made the Sweet 16. But unfortunately, it just did not work out that way for them. Yeah, that that was particularly unfortunate. And I, I feel like with the Big East teams this year, it's been so tantalizing close, like so close, but yet so far. And I, th- I think that's kind of the theme that's persisted over all the teams that have lost so far. If Creighton beats K-State, you're, they probably beat UMBC, and then we probably get another Big East team in the Sweet 16. And that would have been cool to see. I would have liked to have seen Creighton go up against UV. I would have liked to have seen how that would have matched up with a uh, good offense against a outstanding defense, but it wasn't meant to be. I was glad we got the 16 over the one, but man, you got to be kicking yourself if you're creating if seeing UMBC then beat UVA right after your game. That that's that sucks. 
because you you know damn well you probably could have beaten them. Probably will would have beaten them too. And then you could have and you played Kentucky, and you never know what happens with that. Maybe you're playing for the eight eight against the seven or an eleven. It, it it's it's amazing the chain of events there that could have happened if they just beat a relatively mediocre K State team. Yeah, I think so close and yet so far it just seemed to be. I'd say a pretty good way to summarize the theme that kind of captured a lot of different Big East teams when it came to the NCAA tournament. I know for this next team, pouring one out for the Butler Bulldogs, losing to Purdue by three, 76-73, and it was a game. They lost in the second round, and unfortunately, Purdue will go on in the Sweet 16 to take on Texas Tech, who also won a nail-biter. What were your thoughts on the Bulldogs? So, yeah, I wasn't able to watch uh, either game. I, I, I think the way my trip up to Boston was scheduled, I, I missed out on Butler-Arkansas, and I really wanted to watch Butler-Purdue because with Haas out, I thought Butler had, a, had at least a good chance. I, I didn't think they stood much of a chance with Haas. But with him out, I, I thought they could have given him trouble, and they did, and they only lost by three, 76-73. And... I saw a lot of people picking Butler in this game too, and just a lot of the brackets I was looking at, mainly just because of the Butler name. Butler always seems to be good for a tournament run. <sighs> so close, but yet so far again. And it would have been nice to have knocked off a Big Ten team while you were at it and get a nice sweet six, another Sweet Sixteen team in, but just just wasn't meant to be. Butler. It sucks to see this happen to Keelan Martin in his last game. We would like to have seen him get one more last shot, at least play in the second weekend some more attention toward his name and get his name out there. But alas, just wasn't meant to be. Pretty decent first season for Laval Jordan, taking the Bulldogs to the tournament, claiming that 10 seed, beating Arkansas in that first game. And really, really, really had a close one with Purdue. Fortunately, just couldn't get the shots to fall. It was a real good game. Unfortunately, Butler just couldn't get on top. They played earlier in the year in the Crossroads Classic, and Purdue just absolutely smoked them. This time around, it was not the same. Clearly, both teams got better, but the Bulldogs were in a much better shape than they were back in that December matchup. Right there, the whole way, just couldn't get those shots to drop. Unfortunately, they will be sitting out of the Sweet 16. Next up was a team that, I'll be honest with you, Chris, you know how I feel about Seton Hall. I had them beating Kansas, upsetting them in Wichita, and for a while, it looked like Seton Hall was right there. They were playing very well, I thought. But they just couldn't get a stop. They were draining shots. Angel Delgado had the game of his life. And unfortunately, the Pirates fell 83-79. to And that was probably the first time I'd been cheering for them. Yeah, I was actually able to catch the, the second half of this game. And I was I was actively rooting for Seattle. And I never thought I'd be able to see the day where that happened. But they just couldn't get a stop. And, and that's what it came down to. Because this was a classic heavyweight fight, it felt like. Shot for shot. Back and forth. Back and forth. Big offensive rebounds for Seton Hall. Big offensive rebounds for Kansas. For Kansas, you know, long threes for Seton Hall. Long threes for Kansas. Back and forth. It was a great game to watch. But the thing was, Kansas had already had a five, six point separation when that start when the pulled back and forth started going. And at Seton Hall, you just it, it must have been so frustrating because you you did everything in your power to just to score and you're, you're scoring every you're scoring every possession, but you can't get any closer and. To see the the clock wind down and knowing you're you're not as talented as Kansas, that's that's got to be awfully frustrating and awfully depressing to see. And then as a result, I think Kansas was just able to pull away as a result. But but yeah, they they hung in there and 
and it, it seemed yeah they could have just gotten one stop I, they they had some like big back breaking threes Kansas did and it was just it was like quick shots early in the shot clock too where if they had gotten the rebound they could have gone right down the court and had Delgado go up for a layup and they would have been fine but between that and I think they missed some free throws late too it was just it was just a bad recipe and and I think uh Carrington's like last basket was able to prevent Kansas from covering and that kind of caused some commotion in Vegas. I saw a video of that it was pretty funny. Yeah, Delgado was very good, but Carrington was possessed in the final two minutes. I felt like he absolutely did not miss. There was one that was waved off because of a albeit a BS moving screen or whatever that foul was. But he made he if that didn't happen, he would have had another three to his name. He was just draining him at the very end. But unfortunately it was just too late for the Pirates who were just like you said, always down by like eight, anywhere from the six to ten point range. And that just killed them the whole time, just having to play catch up the whole time. And just when it seemed like Seen Hall would finally crack at it, then Kansas would get a big three from Devontae Graham or Suvatioslav Mikhailuk, and it just absolutely killed them. They really left it out on there, and it was just a tough way for that Seen Hall team to go out. And when you have... That core group of seniors, we've talked about how much that batch has meant to that program and to that university and how they really turned them around. Not the way they wanted to go. That was probably one of three biggest teams that I had going to the Sweet 16. It was Nova, Pirates, and this next team, the Xavier Musketeers. Pour one out for them. What happened? <laughs> I, I thought they had it in the bag. I was kind of flipping through the different games. On that Sunday, I saw that they were leading by 12 or 15. And then all of a sudden, I started seeing that it was getting close on the top of my screen. And then before I knew it, Florida State was right there. I switched to that game. They got a one-point lead. Then they got fouled and then made two free throws to make it a three-point game. And with the last shot, last possession of the game, Xavier comes down, kicks the ball to Karim Cantor, he pulls up and missed absolutely everything. Why Trayvon Blue did not take that last shot is beyond me. Yeah, very, very puzzling choice to end, to end the game there. It was kind of reminiscent of how they collapsed against Providence in the Big East tournament. It just, it just kind of snowballed out of control. They were sitting pretty, like what, like eight minutes left? And then one basket here, one basket there, and one here, and one there. And the next thing you know, Florida State's winning. It's weird to say because I, you have such a great player with Trayvon Blewett, but they just refused to use him in the in the waning minutes. They did it against Providence, and and on that last possession against Providence, the Big East tournament, they had Gooden and Cantor running the last play. Blewett was nowhere to be found, and in this game, Blewett was nowhere to be found again. I don't get it. I don't know if it's Chris Mack panicking and down the stretch. I I, I don't know. I I just. Don't know, man. Xavier, like, look, I understand they were a lucky team throughout the year, and I understand that they probably got bumped up because of that luck. And, but, man, like, you got to get at least the Sweet 16. Like, and I, as a Villanova fan, I know that's kind of hypocritical to say, but, but still, like, come on. Like, you, can't you just do represent the conference at least, a, a, like, well a little it's so weird the two years that they were highly ranked 16 and this year they they lost in heartbreaking fashion in the round 32 and then last year when they were horrible and barely scraping games against the Paul, scraping out wins against the Paul, they made it to an elite eight but that was because they actually used Trayvon Blewett but it's they're a very polarizing team and I'm 
still, I, I don't know if we'll ever be able to figure them out, but man, that, that sucks. I was really rooting for him too. And I fell asleep eight minutes or so. And I was able to catch the highlights yesterday morning, but still you can't blow that. You can't blow that lead and you need it. And for the biggest purposes, you needed at least two teams in as with the two being your top two teams. And the fact that you couldn't get both kind of, kind of sucks. Yeah. I thought this would be the year where we would have at least three different teams into the sweet 16. I had seen hall advancing Xavier definitely advancing. Although I thought that both seen hall and Xavier would lose in the sweet 16. Nova definitely had them there. It was just unfortunate to see the biggies just kind of fall apart like that. We had a lot of good chances, a lot of close games, and just a lot of heartbreak, a whole lot of heartbreak, unfortunately. But there's one team that still stands strong, repping the Big East just like in 2016, the Villanova Wildcats. Yeah, at least we could take solace in that. <laughs> no, no, I'm kidding. It's, it's great to see. I'm, I'm, as long as there's one team and it's us, it's, it's a-okay. And, and I wouldn't even say the Big East collapsed. Like honestly, did you? Did we? Re- I know you had Seton Hall in the Sweet Sixteen, but did we really expect Creighton, Butler, Seton Hall, Providence to really get past the round of thirty-two with like those odds stacked against them? I, no. Granted, looking back on it now, hindsight's twenty-twenty. It would have been nice to have seen Creighton beat K State because then you get UMBC, and you also saw how close Seton Hall and Butler came, and Providence was awfully close to beating A and M. So it, it's it kind of sucks in that regard, but I wouldn't say they collapsed. I, outside of Xavier, I think everyone kind of finished where they were supposed to. Yeah, the odds were definitely stacked against some of those teams in like the 8, 9, or seven ten matchups. But I did think that Xavier would at least be there, and I thought that we could at least get more than one Big East team representing. Fortunately, though, we were not the American Athletic Conference. Glad we weren't them. But, hey, I'll take Villanova over everybody. If Villanova is the only team that makes it, then th- that's fine with me. Yeah, it's okay. I, I yeah, would okay. just love more company. You know, <laughs> it gets a little lonely up here. Yeah, it does. It does. So once again, we will talk about the upcoming games as we get closer to them on Thursday. West Virginia should be a fun one, seeing how they were just in the Big East not too long ago. And so Huggy Bear, he knows Jay very well. Jay knows him pretty well. It's going to be a fun time going up against the press. Mountaineers have a few seniors. It's it's going to be fun. It's going to be a good time. And then, of course, in the lead eight, who knows who we'll see. But something tells me it's going to be the Nova-Duke matchup that the committee has been so waiting for for years, ever since 2009. We'll get to that on Thursday. But for now, let's just pour one out for the women's basketball team. It wasn't the way that anyone really wanted it to end. It was a real fun ride. This season has been real great. It's been real great to cover them, see them make it back to the NCAA tournament for the first time since 2013, winning an NCAA tournament game for the first time since 2004. That opening round game against South Dakota State was so much fun to watch. And when it came down to overtime, it was good to see Villanova pull it away, gut it out, and just hold them off for that win. But unfortunately, when it came to going up against Notre Dame, which has one of the best women's basketball programs around right now, probably second to UConn. And I'm sure you can, you know, th- as we talked about before, there's a, that Mount Rushmore of women's basketball teams 
in college basketball, and they're definitely one of them. Not a happy ending there, but it, overall, it's just been such a fun season to watch for Cats. They beat South Dakota State 81-74, to but then against Notre Dame, after that intense first half where things were tied going into the break, and Villanova was shooting the lights out, they lost 98-72 to to top seed Notre Dame. Chris, what were your thoughts on the Lady Cats' weekend in the tourney? And obviously, I was pretty thrilled to see them beat the Jackrabbits. That was pretty. It was a pretty big upset, according to the advanced stats people out there. Five thirty-eight. Given Villanova, I think it was only thirty-one percent chance of winning that game. So that that was nice to see. And then and then on ESPN, yeah, Nova Notre Dame. And I when we were kind of previewing the game last week, I completely forgot these games are at the higher seeds home, and this was at Notre Dame. So this it, it was even a more tough task than just going up against Notre Dame on a neutral court. But Adriana Hahn, she was shooting the lights out in the first half. Basically, the whole team was, but ma- mainly her. Her and Jana Tucker and Kelly Jacob were, were lighting up the scoreboard in the first half. But even with that, Notre Dame was still right there with them, only a point or, point or two back and kind of a few lead changes here and there. And I, I think the turning point in the game was uh, last the last possession of the first half where Villanova had a big stop to end the half. But they gave up an offensive rebound and was put right back up for an easy deuce to tie the game going into halftime. And uh, Coach Pareto was not too particularly happy about that. But I think that gave Notre Dame the momentum. And I think if you're Nova, you're going into the locker room doing thinking we basically played, probably played the best half of basketball we could have played and we're just only tied with these guys. And uh, that that's kind of depressing mentally. So I, I think as a result, Notre Dame was able to take advantage of that, and as and they obviously did outscoring the Cats twenty eight to eight in the third quarter. But yeah, I mean, looking back from where we started back in October, covering them, this was probably honestly the best case scenario if everything broke the right way, and it did. You beat Duke. You had some big wins. You had you beat Duke. You got the tournament win. You got back to the tournament. You got your first win since '04. And you really, I mean, obviously you would have liked to have beaten Notre Dame, but if if you're Coach Peretta in, in October and you were given this scenario, I think he probably signs up for it. I think it was big for them to get that first NCAA tournament win since 04. That South Dakota State game, if they had lost that game, seeing how they were winning the whole time and then the Jackrabbits going that run to tie and forcing overtime, if they had lost that one, that probably would have been so devastating to morale and confidence. Unfortunately. When overtime came, they really took their game to a high level, and I thought Janet Tucker played very well in that first game against South Dakota State and also very well against the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. She was lights out from deep. I think that that was probably the the best two-game stretch she's ever had all season, and she'll be back next year. As it was reported yesterday, she was granted another year of eligibility, so she will be playing all next year in the 2018-19 season. And that's going to be another nice piece coming back for the Wildcats. But that third quarter against Notre Dame, just absolutely heartbreaking. Notre Dame just kicked it into high gear and just had everything, just did everything right. And Villanova was just completely overwhelmed by Notre Dame. And, yeah, like you said, I think if you were told that this was going to be the situation, the scenario – you have a solid regular season. You finish the year 23-9. and You're back in the NCAA tournament. I think you take it. And that was a real fun ride. 
Unfortunately for the Wildcats, they just got dominated on the boards, and that second-half scoring spurt was just too much to overcome. So they weren't pulling off the upset. But for that first half, Chris, that was probably an exciting 20 minutes. But I thought they would be able to do it. It was looking good for a while, and I honestly believe that if they were able to get that stop at the end of the half, I think I think we're talking about an entirely different game. But, yeah, it just wasn't meant to be. I, I just Notre Dame was just that much bigger, that much more dominant on the boards, and you, you could tell from – Every possession, Notre Dame pretty much had a hand on every rebound. And uh, I think that's pretty much the difference in this game. And once Villanova shooting didn't keep up with the first half percentages, it just kind of fell by the wayside. Hopefully this lights a fire for the future. You know, there's a great core here, especially with the way that we have a few great sophomores performing. And then you have Adriana Hahn, who's a junior. She'll be back next year. So maybe they'll be back in the tournament again next season. But it's looking pretty good right now. Hopefully that they can even take it even higher next season. But we'll see. But for now, just bid farewell. And thank you to Alex Lewin, Megan Quinn, and Nicolette Juliana, three seniors for the Wildcats who will be departing after graduating in May. It was a fun ride, and it was good to see that they can end their college careers by bringing Villanova back to the NCAA tournament after a few years in the WNIT. That's all the time we have for today. No mail today, but if you do tweet us at SONNPod, we are looking to save all your questions and mail for the Thursday episode, where we'll be chatting a lot about the things to come this weekend. So please, if you have anything you want us to talk about, feel free to tweet us, ask us whatever you want, and we will talk about it on Thursday morning. In the meantime, Thank you so much for subscribing to the podcast. If you haven't already, you can do so on Podomatic, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play. So many different options, so many different ways to receive the state of the Nova Nation podcast. Check back at viewhoops.com. We are just pumping out content left and right about this NCAA tournament. We have a few different stories leading into this weekend, a few different features, a few analytical takes. So please, please, please check back and check often. Also follow the site at View Hoops on Twitter and Instagram. And lastly, you can follow me, Eugene Pay at Pay 5 And you can follow me, Chris Stanzial, at The Stance Man on Twitter. Nova Nation, happy Tuesday. Let's celebrate. We are in the Sweet 16. And hopefully this time next week, we'll be talking about gearing up for San Antonio.